Well, good morning. Guys here today, there we go. I'm making sure I've got all my stuff together. Um, it's good to have Josh back, amen. Uh, they are fully recovered, and we have some others here today that I know are recovered. We're thrilled that you are, and I'm also thrilled that we continue to watch our numbers drop. So I'm looking forward to getting some more things moving, and I'm sure you are as well, and uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Before I do, if you're in Kidmo, uh, just, it's, like, it's like watching racehorses at the races. Look, look at them go. Some of them, I think, are already back there. So anyways, um, okay. And uh, also excited, we've had a lot of participation in a lot of different ways over these last few weeks. Appreciate Don. He's taught a couple of these um, so far. Last week, he talked about fasting which is in, somewhat ties into what we're going to talk about today, which is the rhythm of simplicity. Um, and so the idea of fasting actually encourages the idea that you have more than you need and you can do without and you can retune the way that you see your life, see your stuff, and see God. And in doing so, you can be more centered in your relationship with God. If you want to uh, learn more about that, you can watch last week's Tracy uh, and Don both filled in while Josh was and did just fantastic jobs. Um, I think I mentioned Don was was like 9 o'clock Sunday night, or Saturday, not Sunday night. That would have been really a feat. But um, Saturday night, and was like, hey, we're, we're kind of uh, we're a ship without a rudder here. And so he jumped in. Tracy did the last couple of weeks. And Tracy actually um, is going to be teaching next week. So uh, you want to be here for that. Uh, Don and Tracy both, when I told them I was doing the series on rhythms, both of them were super excited about being a part, and I'm all about more people being involved in the things that we're doing. She's going to be talking about Sabbath, which also goes um, with the idea of simplicity. So we'll want to encourage her next week, and you want to be here for that. Um, I'm happy to see uh, so many people who keep coming back, and we haven't run you off yet. I'm super excited about that. Uh, and it's, it, it, it is for lack of trying. We don't want to run you off. We hope that you'll be here and be a part of We know this is a weird time to be a part of any church. Um, but I'm looking forward to things that are happening around us, things that are happening through us. And today, today is going to be a little different um, in that the rhythm of simplicity, if I were to say I've been changed, or changed is not the right word, if I have gone more into one thing, over these last two years than anything else, it is the rhythm of simplicity. And what I've seen is that many other people have been drawn to this idea, even if they don't call it that, even if they don't know what it is. And yet, as we enter into these periods where things open up more and we feel more safe being out and we're around more people, we, we actually flee simplicity very quickly. And it has an effect on us. It has an incredibly negative effect on us. It's having an incredibly negative effect on the church when we flee simplicity. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it. But, but before I do, I want you to understand with all of these rhythms, they build on each other. It's not like if you get this one right, don't worry about the rest. It, it, they they kind of build on each other. And I would also say, don't make this a legalistic, literal list of things you need to do in your week because it will lose all of its power when you make it a checklist that God's going to be upset with you if you don't do it. I will just tell you straight up, many people teach behavior modification through Scripture, and they give you a checklist that you've got to follow, and it is so defeating because we're broken, because we're all messed up. But the idea of the rhythms are the idea that there are things you can incorporate into your life that draw you to a healthy place just in life in general, but more specifically in your relationship with God, which affects every other part of your life. So just like all the other rhythms, simplicity cannot stand on its own, but there are some things we can learn about. But there are two things that I really want to spend some time on, and we're going to look in Matthew chapter 6 if you want to turn there. Uh, but there are two things I want to focus on that simplicity is going to provide you, and one is it, uh, it gives you purpose for the best things in life, and the second thing, it creates margin, which most of us have zero amounts of. And you will not grow in any way in your life without margin. There's no way. There's no possible way to grow without margin. Because just as we talk about silence and solitude, 
you have to create time to be still and quiet and to grow, to think differently, to see the world differently, to look at each other's lives and say, you know what, you're important, and I want to invest in your life. Or I, I see you're hurting, and I want to come and encourage you while you're hurting. I, that takes margin, and most of us have zero amounts of margin. Now, at the end of the day, the way Richard Foster talks about this, and, and understand, we use his name a lot. Like We're not just teaching Richard Foster's book. You can go get his book. And you could go through it. He's just a pioneer in the way we understand a lot of these rhythms. It's not like he's the he's you know God, Richard Foster. You know, it's not like that. It's, so you can go get his book, and you'll get some of the stuff we're talking about. But a lot of this you won't get. Um, but this is what he says. He says the discipline of simplicity is an inward focus that changes your external activities. Okay, let that soak in. It's an inward focus. Number one that has an effect on your outward activities. Now, I, I posted um, this week on our Journey account, and if you're not following Journey on Facebook or you're not a part of the Journey group, um, then you're probably not seeing any of this stuff. I, it's also on Instagram if you want to follow it. That's where you are. Um, if you're on all the other cool things like Snapchat, I just don't have time for Snapchat. I'm going to be honest. I don't have time for Snapchat. I don't have time for TikTok. I don't have time for a lot of the cool ones. I'm just the old guy who... Instagram? Yeah, we probably should Instagram, but I'm on Facebook a lot. So anyways, that was a lot of unnecessary information. And it, it probably doesn't say a lot of good things about me, but that's where we are. But I posted this week that when we believe something, it will change how we live. If we don't, if it doesn't change how we live, we don't actually believe it is really the bottom line. Which is why there are so many people that are religious, but not spiritual, or spiritual, but not religious, or however they want to define it. At the end of the day, while God is not trying to make us look identical to each other, God is a God of great diversity. God is saying, if you believe these things are true, it will change how you live. Just most, the most basic of beliefs, God who created the world and us is real. Like, if you believe that, all of a sudden your whole worldview changes and you have to make room for some of these unknown things that the rest of the world who denies that God exists, they just ignore. Like, everything's exactly what's in front of your face and that's it. But even the most basic things that God is real will change how you live. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and the Holy Spirit lives in your heart or lives within you, it will change how you live. Like if you can't remember the last time you sat down and really had a, just a, a, a heart-to-heart with God in prayer, you don't actually believe that prayer really matters. Does that make sense? Now I'm not trying to shame anybody and I don't want to know where you are on this. I'm just telling you, if you believe your spouse loves you, it will change how you respond to them. If you believe that you're responsible for how your kids grow up, it will change how you parent. When we believe something, it changes how we live. All right? So, simplicity requires that we believe something is true. And if we do, it's going to move us to this idea of simplicity where there's an inward focus that changes our external activities. Now, I ran across some, uh, some articles about how people spend their time. And most of these come from the U.S. Census Bureau. So if you're wondering, well, where do you get those? Most of these come from the U.S. Census Bureau. Um, check, out, check this out and understand that Simplicity is not just about the hours in your day. It is about the focus of your heart. But just looking at how we spend the hours in our day, how simple are we, they have determined that you will spend nine years of your life looking at your smartphone. Now, how do they determine that? They assume that to come up with this number, you get a smartphone by the time you're 10, and from the time you're 10, and then they only give you till you're 78. So if anyone's over 78 in the room, that's not, they, 
They don't know what they're talking about, right? But, but for statistics purposes, they say from the age 10 to the age of roughly 78 and a half, I think it actually is, that you are going to look at your phone on average of three hours a day, which is somewhere close to 800,000 hours over your lifetime, which comes out to somewhere around nine years of your life. So just take whatever your life expectancy is, cut nine years off, probably scrolling on your phone if you got a phone when you were 10. Some of us, we're, catch, we're catching up, right? Like we didn't have phones when we were 10. Um, when we were in the bathroom, we read the shampoo bottles, right? We weren't scrolling on social media. Yeah. Only the best spiritual analogies here. Also, they assume, and by the way, three, three hours a day is um, conservative because some studies put it closer to five or six. Those of you who have an iPhone, you get that sometimes unwelcome little notice that says how much time you spent on your phone last week, your screen time. And you're like, how do I turn that off, right? So you can determine where that is for you if you're following that. They also say that the average person, again, U.S. Census Bureau, the average person spends about three hours a day watching television, which is the same amount as the smartphone, chop another nine years off your, your life. 18 years right there. Now, again, you know in your heart of hearts if three hours a day is accurate or not. And there may be some in here that are like, no TV in our house whatsoever. And, like, I applaud you. Um, for others, you know where you are. We're at 18 years of your life right there. If you take sleeping into account, they say on average people sleep eight hours per day in the U.S. Some studies actually put that higher. That some people actually sleep more than eight hours a day. On average, if you have teenagers, you know that's an unrealistic number, right? But on average, you're going to sleep eight hours a day. That's roughly 200 and um, 30,000 hours, it comes out to somewhere around 26 years or a third of your life will be spent sleeping. So let's take another, you know, roughly 26 years. Let's chop it off of whatever your life. So now we're, what is that? Somebody do the math. 20, 26 and 18 is where we're, what? We're at uh, 44 years just in sleeping, watching TV, and looking at your smartphone. All right, this doesn't take into account your work, time you've been cleaning. It doesn't take into account where you're driving from place to place or going to the doctor or just being lazy or going to church or any of that stuff. It doesn't take anything else into account. And you're at like half your life or more is, take, is accounted for, right? I'm not gone. Like sleep is good. And, you know, so it's not that these things are all bad. Um, then the RAND Corporation did a study in 2019, so erase those numbers from your mind, did a study in 2019 that determined that they believe the average American has five hours of free time in any given day. Five hours of free time in any given day. Now, that you could use that five hours for TV or social media or playing ball or whatever you want to do. But they, they estimate roughly five hours once you take into account work or school um, or uh, sleep and eating and all that good stuff, the things you have to do just to stay alive and to provide for yourself, five hours a day. Now, you can see that if we're spending five hours a day on our phones, all the things we're not spending time on. You spend five hours in front of the TV, all the things we're not spending time on. Now, what ends up happening for some of you who have kids in the room is as kids get older, their activities, in, they increase, right? And so now you're running them to all their things, and you end up cutting out probably sleep is one of the things you cut out. We cut out a lot of things in our house. Like we we got to have some margin. So we find ways that we can cut, but that's what we're doing with our lives. So my question as we begin this talk on simplicity is simply this, how will you spend the the time you have in your life. You will not abs accidentally get the most out of those five hours or however many you have. You will not at the end of your life look back and say, you know, I don't know how I did it, but man, did it. I did, it was great. Like those five hours were great. You, you never hear the story of the person on their deathbed after a long life saying, you know what I wish I had done? 
wish I'd convinced more people on Facebook that I was right. Never happens. Nobody ever says that. But how many hours do we spend doing that? Right? You have five hours. Maybe you have less. Maybe you have more. How will you spend your time in your life? Now, a lot of people will spend that time in inter being entertained or worrying about money. We spend a lot of those five hours worrying about money, actually. Uh, is our retirement on track? Are we going to be able to pay for the next season of life? Um, you know, what's going to happen at work? Uh, am I going to be okay? We spend so much time worrying. I wonder how many people don't have any actual free margin time in their life to daydream. They think about what could be. We agonize over what job we should have. Will it be the perfect job? Will I love my job? Will I feel fulfilled in my job? A lot of us spend more time agonizing over it than we actually do working it. So there's lots of things we do and lots of ways we spend our time that may or may not be helpful, but how will we spend the time we have in our life? Will it be spent with friends and family? Reading a good book versus watching a TV show. Playing, growing, spending time with God. How will you spend the hours in your life? And it's been said, and it is absolutely true, your life right now is perfectly suited for the outcomes that you have right now. Like where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where your, your mind is, where your heart is, where your focus is in life, it has 100% put you into the place that you are right now. For some of you, that may be good, and it feels good. And for some of you, you may be like, whoa, that, that doesn't feel so good. Because I don't really like where I am right now. How are you spending this time? How are you focusing your life? And what are the distractions that are unintended but are taking you away from the best things in life? See, the idea and the rhythm of simplicity is not that we always avoid the bad things. We avoid the good things for the best things. And a part of that inward focus is, well, then what are the best things? And each one of us has to, we have to come to that conclusion on our own. We have to each decide what they are, and that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes. The discipline of simplicity is an inward your external activities. It frees your mind, your heart, your schedule that rob you of life so that you can actually spend time on things that infuse you with life. If you're a person today that does not feel infused with life, it's probably because of a way that you're practicing or not practicing this rhythm. Let's look at, at Matthew chapter 6 before I do that. This is 1 Thessalonians 7.29. This is the Jerusalem Bible. I never quote from the Jerusalem Bible, but the way that they, they translate this verse is just so good. It says, it says, I find that God made man simple. Man's complex problems are of his own devising. That is one of the primary ways we're going to understand the rhythm of simplicity. God made us to be simple. The complexity that drives us crazy is our fault. So we've got to figure out what that crazy is and how do we get it out of here. Matthew chapter 6 is one of the places that talks about this most. We're going to begin in verse 19. There's actually two sections of this we're going to go through, but it will end in verse 33 in which... Uh, we have this beautiful instruction that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. If you want to tune out for the rest and you want to focus on verse 33, that will if you will live that out, it will get you where you need to go. But let's take the long route and not just take the shortcut. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we talk about this verse all the time. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard these collection of verses, and I don't feel like we need to go through and spend a whole lot of time on this other than what he is saying is the things that you are focused on are going to determine whether you have real treasure or not. And if it's treasure that can be stolen from you, it's not real treasure. <laughs> and if it's treasure that can't come with you when you die, it's not real treasure. I, it may make you feel good for a moment. I, I tried to find some statistics of, uh, you know, like how many people have the current phone. I, you know, phones are 
expensive, right? I, uh, and how many people go out and buy the first one? Like the iPhone 13, I'm not even going to ask if you have it because I've already set you up in a bad way, haven't I? If, if you say, yeah, I do right here, see it? Camera's fantastic on this thing. Look at this, look at the stainless steel on the side. You know, anyways, I don't know. But how many, and interestingly, over time, now they say the average person keeps their phone for three years, which is, I think, when they design them to fail. Can I get an amen on that? Because that's about when mine all fails after three years. So, but I mean, hey, you're using it six hours a day, so that's pretty good, right? Six hours a day for three years, that's not so bad. All right, I digress. Focus on the treasure. That is real treasure. Now, he goes into some more detail when he gets in verse 22, and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And you may be thinking, I, yeah, I don't know what that means. The eye is the lamp of the body. What, what does that mean? And Really, we have to take the whole, the 22 and 23 in together to understand the context of what he's saying. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And when he talks about light, and he talks about the lamp of your life, and he talks about your eye, he's talking about your focus. What do you see? What are you going after? Are you trying to be the best whatever? Are you trying to work the least hard of anyone you know? Are you trying to gain as much treasure because other people look at you and go, wow, look at all his treasure. I mean, he really knows what he's doing with his life. Unlike me, who doesn't know what I'm doing with my life. Uh, There are so many people that are chasing large amounts of treasure so they look like they know what they're doing with their life. It's really amazing how... So many times they have no idea what they're doing with their life. The eye is the lamp of the body in the sense that where are you focusing? If you focus on good, healthy things, it brings light to your body. If you focus on unhealthy things, it brings darkness to your life. So store up the treasures that matter, the real treasure. When we get to the end of our lives, And while we're sitting there in our beds waiting to meet the Lord, will we say, you know what, I wish I had 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 the iPhone 11. And I didn't wait to get it until it was already out of date. Doesn't that sound so stupid? Like, like, why am I even saying that? That is so ridiculous sounding. But without purpose, that's exactly how we live our lives. How do I get the next thing? How do I get the next thing? How do I get the next car? How do I get the better house? How do I get the bigger portfolio? How do I drive around and feel like I've arrived? How many hours that you had, how many of those five hours in your day were spent doing that? When the real treasure, is it not in relationships? How many people have we cut out of our lives because we don't have time for them because, you know what, I've got to convince people on Facebook that this thing I believe is true is true. Many people will be cut out of our lives. And yet at the end of the day, the things that matter most, if we get right down to it, are the people in our lives. You were made to be that way. You were made to function that way. He goes on in verse 24, and he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, we say money. And depending on if you perceive you have a lot of money, you may or may not feel like that Jesus is talking to you. But you can replace that word money with anything else if you want to. That's just the prevailing of the day thing he was trying to get to them. What is the thing that you hold most dear that you are orchestrating all your life to get that thing? And here's what I would say. If you don't know what that is, you're already behind. Already behind. You should at least know what you're spending your entire life going after. Jesus says you can only go after one thing, really. And as much as we think we're good at going after multiple things and multitasking, all the studies say no one's good at multitasking. I always thought I was good at multitasking. But being bivocational has taught me I'm really not good at multitasking. I do a lot of different things. I'm just not, I don't do anything really well. I just do a lot of different things. 
right? If I could really focus on one thing, I could really do that one thing well. That's the way we're wired. We were geared to our minds work. That's, that's the way our brain rests when we can focus on something. I'm not trying to oversimplify the gospel or oversimplify life or oversimplify all the things you've got to accomplish in a day because the rhythm of simplicity does not require you to ignore everything else. It just requires you to put everything in its correct alignment. Putting it into alignment does make you choose. Some of you are choosing, and sometimes I'm choosing, and I don't even realize I'm choosing. Because I don't stop and really consider what is my heart really about. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. It, it, it's not possible. We see this in the church all the time. Like, church is a part of my life. But Jesus says, no, it's either all of your life or it's nothing. Your, your activity doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. And some of the ways you might be thinking, that doesn't sound like something Jesus would say. I promise you. He said it like this. He said, be hot or cold, but if you try to be in the middle, I I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, he's not trying to say, you who aren't good Christians, he hates. That is not what he's saying, because he does not attach how mature you are to hot or to cold. What he says is, is this is about your focus. How important is this to you? If this is only important to the degree that you hope God will take care of the things you can't take care of, that's probably lukewarm. But when he becomes our main thing, then it brings everything else into alignment. Simplicity for me is when God becomes the main thing in your life. It changes how you spend your time. Remember, it's that inward focus that has an outward impact. The inward Focus is what changes you. When you understand the need for margin, you stop making decisions that remove all your margin. When you have no margin, if you are a person in this room or are watching online and you have no margin, you are tired, you are frustrated, you are discouraged, and you are thinking about giving up on something. Because the good stuff in life comes with margin. And we love technology. I love technology. I, I, I make a living in technology. But technology has pushed us backwards in this way. It has taken up every free moment we have because we love to be entertained. And God organized our brains and our whole bodily systems that entertainment makes us want more entertainment. Our brain releases these wonderful chemicals that makes us feel good. And so we want to keep doing them. That's why people get addicted to to playing video games and watching Netflix. And we even get addicted to coming to worship services that feed our need to be entertained. And somehow we feel that's worship. And maybe it was, but maybe it wasn't either. It changes us. He goes on in verse 25. And usually we separate these and we don't read these together. I'm reading them together because they are the same thought. And he says, therefore... And I had a pastor once tell me, any time you read in Scripture, therefore, it's therefore a reason, which I've found to be true. Therefore, what I've just told you about laying up treasure in heaven, you can't have two masters. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on, is not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. We go through this a lot to talk about anxiety. There's a lot of misconceptions about what Jesus is trying to say here. What Jesus is not saying is, you know what, come to church And God's going to make sure you have food on your table. 
And God's going to make sure that you have the nicest clothes of anyone that lives in your neighborhood. Now, there's a lot of people that actually believe that, as crazy as that sounds. And, and they're trying to perform for God so God will do things for them. But the God doesn't work that way. And that's not at all what Jesus is trying to say here. He is trying to say, seek the kingdom and everything else will fall into place. But when we understand the rhythm of simplicity and we know the thing that's drawing us and pulling us within life, we have this constant direction that we're headed, then other things do fall in place in our life. But when you go through and you see the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture throughout, if you will actually follow Jesus, you will have food on your table. But not because God magically makes it appear like he did for the Israelites while they're wandering in the desert and he caused manna to happen. God can make that happen. But because Scripture will teach you to be responsible in the way that you work. Scripture teaches us we should work. We should go out and we should make a living and we should work hard at that job. We should have it in right priority with the other things we do in life. It should not be our only thing in life, but you should work. And if you work, you will have food on your table. Scripture also teaches us that we are to be generous. So you should not just work enough for yourself. You should work enough for yourself and those who might be in need around you. And whenever we get something, we look at it and we say, this is not just for me, this is for those around me that are in need too. We talked about that when we talked about prayer. Do you remember? There's a very different way of praying. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, um, your will be done, and uh, give me this day my daily bread. Because that is not what Jesus prayed. Jesus did not pray, give me today my daily bread. He said, give us today our daily bread. And what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples in that moment was, okay, you're okay today, but we talked about Bob. I don't know if there's a Bob here today. I hope there's not a Bob. I pick on Bob. Bob, is there any Bobs here today? I'll change names, so no Bobs. Good. If Bob doesn't have bread, but I do, and I'm praying that our needs will be met, I've got, I've got some for Bob. And the prayer is answered just like that. God intends for us to be generous. But as you know as well as I do, you cannot be generous without margin. Like if every dollar is accounted for in your budget, and you don't, and, and some of you I know, like you're, you live and die by the spreadsheet, so you, you have your generosity budgeted in. So if that's in your budget, I'm not trying to say that's bad. But if you only have enough for you, you are not following the way of Jesus. Which means some of us have to limit what we spend on ourselves so that we have more to give to others. Simplicity provides the vehicle for that. I don't have to have the newest phone. My my dad uh, had a good job. and they He taught me more about generosity than any pastor ever did. And when he goes into the cell phone, when I go into the cell phone store, where do you think I go? I go to the newest thing. Like, I, let me see it. What you got? What you got for me today? My dad goes into the cell phone store, and all of the workers come around him and say, what you got today? Because we hadn't seen a phone like that in about 15 years. That's how my dad and I shop for cell phones differently. Now, my dad can much more afford the new phone more than I can, which is honestly a problem in our culture because our kids leave our homes thinking that the livelihoods we provided them after decades of work and we already have our training or our degrees, they feel like they've got to go out and have it on day one. And so they leverage themselves to death and they'll never be out of debt. That's why there is no wealth among the middle class anymore. It's tied up in debt. Like we owe. We got no money in savings. So as we begin to look at how do we organize the priorities of our lives, the ability to create margin is the way of Jesus and gives us the ability to do all the other things that matter. How are you going to spend time in silence and solitude with God if you're running from one thing to the next 
Of course you're not going to spend time there because God's not the one who's jumping in front of you every five minutes saying, spend time with me. He's that still, small voice. He's the one knocking on the door seeing if you're going to answer. He's not the one who's trying to stop you. And if you're like me, who's some would say a little hard-headed. I don't say that. Others say that about me. Who often would pray, God, just hit me on the side of the head with a two-by-four. Has anybody ever prayed that? But God doesn't use two-by-fours. So margin gives you the opportunity for silence and solitude. If you're going to fast, there has to be something in your life that lets you stop and pause life and step outside of it. I'm going to take this moment to reconsider. But what ends up happening is, is I don't, I don't have, I, I'm going to think about reconsidering things, but I got this to do and that to do and this to do and that to do and this to do. See, simplicity creates margin for you. We've interestingly, and I talk with pastors, this whole online church thing has been a lifesaver through this pandemic, but it's created a monster because people have found out how much time you save to watch church online rather than to be in person. And so what's not happening on Sunday mornings in churches all across our country are relationships growing because we are individuals at home loving. And I'm not, you're at home watching today. I'm glad you're watching today. When these numbers drop out of here, we need you here. We need you here. Because a life of faith is about community. It's not about just learning. The worst things that have ever happened in Christianity have happened because Christians decided they needed to learn a bunch of stuff, but they didn't actually need to live it out. I mean, that's where the worst behavior from Christians have come throughout history. I mean, we'll quote Bible verses, and we will heap coals on your head. Somehow we escape them ourselves. We learn, but it's in community. It's in loving each other. I guarantee you do not know the needs of those people in your life if you do not spend time with them. Because while some of them will put them on Facebook, most people won't. Most people won't. Will we choose a better way? I'll get to that in a minute. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying is literally seek the best things. And it's not that there's God things and then, you know, Satan things. Like there's a lot of stuff in the middle. A lot of good things. We each have to come to the decision of, well, what are those God things for me? And Jesus was asked, okay, if you're going to focus your life on something, what should it be? And they phrased it, the Pharisees phrased it in the question of what is the greatest commandment in the law? We read this in Matthew 22. What's the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, like what's the most important thing we should do? You already know what it is if you come here regularly because we talk about this all the time. And this is what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, anything that, that we have ever said to you about what this is supposed to look like is about these two things, loving God and loving other people. Everything is about that. Now, we get into all kinds of layering when we really dig in to what it means to follow Jesus. But it all comes back to these two things, loving God and loving people. Like if you begin to accept the rhythm of simplicity to say, I'm going to do two things with my life. I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love all the people around me as much as I love myself. It's such an important differentiation that we don't say that the two great commandments are to love God and then to love others but not love myself. That is a misrepresentation of the words of Jesus. Jesus never says you should not love yourself, but you should see yourself in the right relationship with everyone else, with community, loving each other. So it's not about me lowering. Sometimes we do have to lower ourselves. Because we have such a high opinion of ourselves, there's no room for anybody else. So sometimes we do have to lower ourselves, but most of the time we need to raise everybody else up to the same place where we are. Like, what are you going to 
What are you willing to go through for your own life? Now, are you willing to go through that for someone else? Because Jesus, he says, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to follow me. You cannot take people out of the equation for the rhythm of simplicity. Rhythm of simplicity gives us the margin so that we can do this well. But if we're doing 15 other things, we can't do this well. There are things I would love to spend my time on, but they would not lead me to a place of health. There are things no one would say, Mark, that's unhealthy, but I would know for me it is because it's requiring me to push away something that's better. You have to decide what those are, which, by the way, is an important part of the rhythm of simplicity. The rhythm of simplicity is not the rhythm of uniformity. All right? We can be uniform in the thing that's drawing us, but every person will work out the rhythm of simplicity in their own life, and it may or may not look like the person next to them, even in your own family even your best friends, even someone who you like can finish each other's sentences, you may still work out the rhythm of simplicity differently, but we can still have the same goal that we're seeking the kingdom first before everything else. The health of your activities are largely determined by the health of your focus. A lot of the behaviors that really lead people down terrible paths um, are escaping behaviors. I don't like the rhythm of my life. I don't like where it's going. I don't like where I am. I don't know how to change it. So I escape it. And we've seen that happen over the pandemic. We've seen increasing escaping behaviors, whether it be pornography or whether it be alcohol or whether it be whatever, or just mind-numbing TikTok or whatever. That's escaping behavior. When you go into the bathroom and it takes you an hour and a half to come out, and you know you didn't have that much work to do, you are escaping. You're escaping. Escaping never takes us to the places we want to be. Never takes us to the place we want to be. For me, and this is... I. This is probably oversimplifying. If I were to say there are two things for me about how I orchestrate the rhythm of simplicity in my life and use it as a filter for where I'm going to spend time with, I swear those kids are okay. I don't know what's happening right now. I swear nobody's killing those kids out there. But you wouldn't know it by those screams, right? Those are excited screams, I guess. <laughs> There were two things. One is spending time knowing God. It's a rhythm of simplicity for me. I have to spend time knowing God. And I don't, I don't make this legalistic in the sense that if today I don't actually spend time knowing God, that I feel like a failure and God hates me, and now I have to go into all kinds of ways to you know, prove I love God. That's what, that's what people do. God understands I am a sinful person. He gets that. He talks quite a bit about that in the New Testament, actually, and says, uh, my blood for your brokenness, which is a continual thing for me. I've yet to arrive, and I'm guessing you haven't either. So if I fail in the rhythm of spending time knowing God, I pick it back up. That's why they're rhythms. I spend time knowing him. For me, that's the discipline of guidance. And if you don't remember, that was the first rhythm we talked about, that I'm going to hear God's word and I'm going to obey it. Silence and solitude is part of, of knowing God. I'm going to get away and be quiet and refuse to have distractions, and I'm going to just get, get along with God and see what happens. Prayer is another rhythm that is all about getting to know God. It is not just about giving him our list. It is about spending time with him and letting him change us, change our perspective. And sometimes... He, and rather than God answering our prayers, he says something like, Mark, um, you are in this spot because of a decision you make, and you need to unmake that decision. And don't ask me to fix it for you until you're ready to unmake that decision. That is many times God says that to me in prayer. None of that happens unless I have as a core value that I'm going to spend time knowing God every single day. So when I would read things early as a believer uh, about pray without ceasing, I'd be like, yeah, right. That's for those preachers, right? 
that they don't do anything but sit around and pray. Because, you know, little known fact, um, after the service, I get on a gurney, they roll me into a closet, shut it, lock it. Next Sunday morning, they'll pull it back out. All I've done is pray all week, that whole time, right? I kind of thought that when I was a kid. My mom jokes about it. I know why you wanted to go into ministry, because you thought, you know, she has all those wonderful answers for me. Um, thanks, Mom. And, uh, no, she's good. She loves me. But she does say those things to me, by the way. We have a, we have a lot of fun around that. But spending time knowing God is important. If you're not doing that, your rhythm of simplicity is off. You can have a rhythm of simplicity where you have a laser focus. But are you bringing in light to the body or are you bringing in darkness? What you focus on is as important as how you focus on it. The second one is this, is, is, and I think this is, I mean, I would encourage everyone to do this because I think these are just the words of Jesus reworked. Spend time doing the things Jesus would be doing. Those are my two things. Now, clearly, I do a lot more in my life than those two things. And I, in all honesty, I don't often do those two things well. But they are the filter by which everything has to be viewed through. So the way that works for me with the rhythm of guidance is when I read a piece of scripture, I don't go, well, that's interesting. I ought to try that. I'm like, I need to do that right now. Like, I need to start doing that. Whenever it comes down to whether I look at a person, whether they have a different way of living life or a different lifestyle or a different whatever, and I have the temptation to either heap judgment on them or I can just say, you know what? You share the image of God, and I'm just going to choose to love you today. I choose the way I think Jesus would do. And Jesus regularly chose just to love, not heap judgment on people. Do I always do that well? Well, you probably go around and ask people who have known me a long time, and they would say, well, sometimes and sometimes not. Which is probably all our stories, if we're all honest. Rhythm of simplicity says these are the two things that are going to matter. So we have, as a family, we have made it a priority to be a part regularly of a church community. We stop doing journey or journey goes away for whatever reason. Next Sunday, we will be a part of another faith community. We may jump around and kind of find where we fit, but we will the next Sunday be at another place because for us, working out these two rhythms, spending time knowing God and spending time doing what God would do means we are going to be a part, a regular part of the faith community. I don't know how else you follow Jesus without doing that. A lot of people are trying and they tell us, consultants tell us, that we should be more engaging and entertaining. And if someone comes once every six weeks, we should count that as a win. But that is not a win. That's not a win. That is our cultural move. Can I live out the rhythm of simplicity like that? Because everything else becomes as important, if not more important, except one every six times. So is this going to be all? Now, I don't have time to go into all of the disclaimers I should have to give for this sermon. That somehow, if you show up to church every Sunday, life is going to be beautiful and perfect and no problems. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that when you make the rhythm of your life to spend time knowing God and to do the things that Jesus would do, you're going to find yourself with other believers more times than not. I mean, we can look back the last 2,000 years, it's been that way. It was just recently that we've gotten, at least in this country, that we've gotten so busy and distracted that we just don't have time for that. Okay, I'm going to preach it. Got to wrap up. The discipline of simplicity creates margin. I've already covered that, I think, pretty well. Um, I do want to give you these two quotes about from Richard Foster. They're actually one quote. I broke them up into two. One is, if we... And this, he says there are three things for him about um, in this area of margin about the rhythm of simplicity. And the first quote is three things that he thinks it is, and the other is three things he thinks it's not. First quote, if what we have we can receive as a gift from God, and if what we have we know as to be cared for by God, and if what we have can be available to others when it is clearly right and good, then we are living the inward reality of simplicity. In other words, I, re I recognize God is real. I believe that. God has given me what I have. God is going to take care of what he has given me. I don't have to take care of it. 
and he's going to give me enough to share with others the things that are right and good, then that's the rhythm of simplicity. He says, but if what we have we feel that we alone have gotten, and if what we have we believe is up to us to hold on to, and what we have we cannot make available to others when it is clearly right and good, then we are living in what he considers the opposite of simplicity, which is duplicity which is where Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Sometimes it's not just money. Sometimes it's just ourselves. We want to be our own masters. I mean, Americans, come on, don't tread on me. Right? It's, it's you know, our nation drives this in us. Be your own king of your castle. Jesus never would say now listen, you take care of yourself. They can worry about themselves. Jesus would never say that. But yet that we live that out because we're told those are the values in this community in which we live, but those aren't the values of Jesus. And what Richard Foster is saying here is, is if we feel like I've gone out and gotten all this for myself and I'm keeping it to myself and I better not let go because I don't want to lose this thing, and, you know what, if you need some of what I got, well, go get your own, because this is mine. He says, that's duplicity. That's the opposite of the rhythm of simplicity. And I will tell you, the more you try to hold on to stuff, you will feel it. It's exhausting. The fear of losing is exhausting. The idea that, oh, I worked so hard for this, and I'm just going to make sure I hold on to it, is exhausting. When you hold loosely, when you look for the things that God is saying are the best things, not just the good things, but the best things, then it frees you up. Anxiety tends to fade away. When you can go so far as to let up on your physical health and just say, God, even my body is yours, which is, it is, I, I give up my fear and worry about my own body. I will tell you this. I have worried about many things through this pandemic. I have not spent one day worrying about my own health. It is not an idea of faith over fear. Maybe a little bit, but not in the way we use it. It is the belief that if God wants me dead, okay. Okay. I mean, I don't want to leave my family and my friends, and, but Okay. Because that's the best thing for me. That's what Paul was trying to tell us when he said, it's a good thing that I'm here because I'm supposed to be here for you, but if he were to take me, that's a better thing. And I recognize that takes some time to get to, and I haven't felt that way my whole Christian life. But I, have, I do feel that way at this stage of my life. So I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my best to care for the people around me, which is how we've had to make decisions throughout this pandemic. I feel responsible to, to not harm others. But I'm not going to be afraid for myself. If someone needs me and they're sick, I'm going to go. Now, we haven't had anybody that's needed that. We've got others in our church that are caring for the sick. But when we hold loosely to these things, all of a sudden, our, our lives are freer, more open. All right, that's what I'm going to leave you with. I'm over. Over my time. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a simple sermon today on simplicity. It's going to be great. And I'll leave you with this question. If you could redeem the time you spent on other things so far, would you? And what would you change? Change these hours you've got. Would you change? Maybe you wouldn't change anything. Maybe you would change everything. If you could, what would you change? I encourage you not to wait till you're on your deathbed to ask that question. Right now, in this moment today, you can make that decision and you can start to change the things you're focused on. And you can spend the rest of your life moving in a healthy, positive direction if you haven't been so far. Don't wait to make that decision. For us as a church, we find ourselves in a new world. How are we going to spend our time? We've always been focused on a more simple, 
strategy of doing church so that we don't spend all our time here together, but we should be spending more time than we are right now. We don't desire to have 15 things you can do at the church during the week because you need that margin for other things in your own life, with your family, with your friends, and with people that you are showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want you here all the time. It is for us to begin thinking differently about what uh, we're going to do in these coming months and years. I will tell you, I've been rethinking many things. And at this stage of life, and I, gosh, I probably shouldn't even say this, um, because it'll come out probably not how I want it to. But at this stage of my life, like I, I want to do life with people that are serious about this rhythm. Life is so good with people that get this rhythm. And the thing is about this rhythm, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to get this rhythm. You don't have to have been a Christian for a long... You don't even have, You could be asking new questions about Jesus you've never asked before, and you could be working in the area of this rhythm. I don't in any way want to communicate, like, if you're not a good enough Christian, I don't want to spend time with you. That is not what I'm trying to say at all. But after this pandemic, I want to do life with people that are serious about following Jesus. I want us to go out and show that to people who don't know Jesus, because I do think he's the pearl of great price. I want to spend time praying for each other, doing life with each other, serving with each other. I want us to figure out how to better do that as a community. I don't want it to be a place where the pastor determines how everything goes. And in a pandemic, it's kind of fallen into that. I don't want to be that person. Community is community. We need each other. We need to spend time together. We need to challenge each other. And we need to have opportunities to see the struggling of each other and and the suffering that we're going through. And we need opportunities to be able to say, I see you. I see your hurt. I want to be here with you. All that, that's still part of the rhythm of simplicity. It takes margin. I would encourage you, as we ask these questions, man, I'm inviting you on a journey that we just, I mean, we 100% live this stuff out. And I'm not going to pretend I know exactly what that's going to look like and how that's going to live out. I do know we're not going to be the church we were two years ago. And that's hard. I got, I've shed real tears over that. But we are still practicing this opportunity for us to see God spend time with him, to grow in our relationship with him and with each other and to become more like Jesus because that's what he told us to do. All right, I have rambled on long enough. I'm going to pray with you and we're going to go and hope I didn't run you off. Good come back next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath, another thing Americans aren't good at that are crucial if we're going to know God. Father, I thank you that I can be a big screw-up that I can focus on I can focus on all the other things in the world other than you. And yet you and your grace and your mercy, you pull me back. I thank you that you're real. You do hold the earth in your hands. You determine its seasons and its days when the sun rises and when the sun sets. And you do that, and you've done that consistently. Thank you that you said you are going to take care of us and our needs. We just need to focus on the treasure that really matters, which is your kingdom. You. I pray that we as a church would come together and as as I I believe and I continue to hope that the this variant is moving out of our community, that we will be able to come together. We'll be able to love each other in a way that when people look at us, they will say that God has to be there. Help to get to that place. Help us to see people as they are. Their needs, their hurts, their joys. Help us to see ourselves as we are, even when we so often we try to fool ourselves. 
Let us practice this rhythm so that we can be healthy. We can experience you. When we get to the end of our lives, we will look back and not say, oh, I wish I had, but instead we will be able to say, oh, I'm so thankful I did. Look forward to the time that we see you face to face, but until then, help us to live out this rhythm of simplicity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're done. Have a good week. See you next week.